All right, Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 3. We're going to continue forward in our study of the life of Moses, great man of God, great man of God used in history. So Exodus, chapter 3, that's your second book in the Bible right after Genesis. Genesis, Exodus. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, as always, we ask for your help in understanding your word. We ask that you would speak clearly to each one of us. I pray that you would motivate us Lord, for those who are far off, bring them close. For those that have cooled off spiritually, make them hotter. Pray, Lord, that we, as your people, be highly motivated to follow you in every area of life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to a few choice excuses that were offered to police officers in relation to car accidents. One guy says, officer, an invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car and vanished. Another guy says, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law and headed over the embankment. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. My favorite. Suddenly, officer, a tree was there where no tree has been before. Silly excuses. And human beings love to make silly excuses. In fact, we've been making excuses from the very beginning. Remember, God asked... Adam in the garden, did you eat of that tree? And Adam said, it was the wifey that you gave to me. It's her fault. It's your fault for giving her to me. He asked Eve, did you partake of that tree? No, it was the serpent made me. The devil made me do it. Excuses, excuses. An excuse has been defined as the skin of a reason stuffed with a big fat lie. And that's what most excuses are, really. Well, here in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is standing before God at the burning bush. God has appeared to him. God has spoken to him. God has commissioned Moses. I'm calling you, Moses. I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want to use you to deliver my people. And Moses proceeds to give God all these excuses as to why he can't do what he's been commanded to do. And these are common excuses. In fact, they're excuses that a lot of Christians use. You know, God has given us commands. Christian, did you know you're called to be a witness for Jesus Christ? You're you're called to share the gospel, to make disciples of the nations. And yet, we make excuses. The exact same ones that Moses did. In fact, I'm going to show you three very common excuses that are made. So God says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. 
And in verse 13 of chapter 3, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God, suppose I do this. Suppose I go. What if they ask me a question that I can't answer? What if I lack knowledge? Now, we know you're the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But in Egypt, they have personal names for all of their deities. And so someone might ask, what's the personal name of your God? What if I mask that? God answers that question. Sort of. (laughs) Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now that probably raised more questions in Moses' mind than the original question, right? What's your name, God? Well, Moses, I am who I am. You tell the people I am sent you. Now this is a mysterious name, and I'm glad that God gave this name. God is the great I am. This is the famous, what scholars call, the tetragrammaton. It's a fancy term that means the name of God in Hebrew is four letters. In fact, it's four continents, consonants. Y-H-W-H. You see the name of the Lord in the Old Testament. That's what it is in Hebrew. Y-H-W-H. No vowels were ever supplied. And so for thousands of years, there's been debate over how to really pronounce the name of God. Some have suggested Yehovah or Jehovah. Others say it's Yahweh. And that's the pronunciation that I agree with because it's very close to another Hebrew word in the Old Testament, which means to be. Awa. Yahweh, to be, I am. But what a mysterious name. Our God is mysterious, isn't he? In fact, that name speaks of his transcendence. God can't be defined. The greatness of God is so hard for us to even begin to fathom. John Wesley used to say, give me a worm that can understand a man, and I'll give you a man who can understand God. And that name, the great I am, it speaks of his eternal nature. The translation here could be, I am who I am, I am because I am, I will be, that will I be. So way back in eternity past, there was the great I am. Today in the present is the great I am. Eternity future will be the great I am. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The God who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's your God. He's completely self-sufficient. He's whole. He doesn't need anybody's help. 
He's the great I am. He's sovereign. He's on the throne. He's in control. I am. And what a comfort that name should be for us as Christians. Because God can be whoever we need him to be. One scholar said, it's as if he's saying to people, are you weak? I am strength. Are you poor? I'm riches. Are you in trouble? I am comfort. Are you sick? I am health. Are you dying? I am life. Have you nothing? I am all things. I am wisdom and power. I am justice and mercy, grace and goodness, glory, beauty, holiness, eminency, super eminency, perfection, eternity, Yahweh, I am. Whatever is amiable in itself or desirable unto you, that I am. Whatsoever is pure and holy, whatsoever is great or pleasant, whatsoever is good or needful to make you whole, I am. That's our God. This name is wondrous. This name is mighty and majestic. So I love that God answered this question for Moses. What if they ask me what your name is? So that's one of the excuses that we use. The Lord asks us as Christians to share the gospel, to share our faith. To be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And we come to God and we say, God, I can't do that. What if they ask me a question I don't have an answer for? What if I lack knowledge? God, I haven't been to seminary. I didn't go to a five-year Bible school. What if they ask me something about the Bible that I don't understand. What if they what if they stump me? God, what if they bring up that creation evolution debate or the abortion issue? What if they ask about gender dysphoria or same-sex marriage? What if they ask me something con What if I don't have an answer? That's a really big excuse why many Christians decide to keep their lips shut. What if I can't answer their question? Well, listen, there's a great way to eliminate that excuse. We have the full revelation of God. 66 books in English. Right here. Available to you. And if you are a born-again Christian and you feel like you don't have knowledge, then I would say to you, get to work. Study the Bible. Gain truth. Get all you can. If, if this is your home church, you know that we are absolutely committed to studying and teaching the Bible. We do it on Sundays. We do it on Wednesdays. We do it on our men's group, at our women's group. And I would invite you, if you need some help in understanding the Bible, you'd become a part of that. There are lots of people in this church that know the Bible very well. Meet them, ask them. Learn how to study the Bible. Give it your all. By the way, Christianity has amazing resources in layman's language concerning the evolution-creation debate. Go find it. 
The answers are there. Christian apologists have amazing resources concerning the things like gender dysphoria and all the different things that are happening. There are answers that you could find out. So study. Go for it. I believe that every Christian can begin witnessing day one. I mean, day one. You become a brand new believer, you can begin witnessing. Maybe you're here younger and you really, you need some more understanding of God's word. That's all, that's all right. You go out and you share the faith. Tell them your story. Just tell them your personal testimony, how you met Jesus. I think of the guy in John chapter 9 who Jesus healed. He was blind. And you remember... They take him before this elite religious group, and he's being grilled and drilled by all these religious leaders. And finally, the guy says, look, I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. That's powerful. Tell people how your life has been changed. Now, this fear of being asked questions, don't let it stop you. I found that a lot of times they won't even ask the questions that you fear. There's no record of the people ever saying to Moses, what's the name of your God? But he was ready. And let's think about this. If you are asked a question about some of these more controversial topics, please don't let them pigeonhole you. Don't spend a lot of time debating those issues. When you witness, you get people to Jesus Christ as soon as possible. Tell them about Jesus. In fact, you could say to them, you know, we got that's an important issue. We'll talk about that. But first of all, can I tell you the most important part about the Christian faith? Jesus Christ. Share Jesus. Get the discussion to Jesus. Always do that. Maybe you get asked a question and you really have no idea. Don't make up an answer. Say, I'll get back to you. Tell them, I don't know. They'll appreciate your honesty. Come to church. Come to talk to one of the pastors. Talk to somebody. Get an answer and then get back to them. But don't let that fear keep you from sharing your faith. You remember, Christian, that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And Jesus said, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, and he promises to teach you and to bring to remembrance. And there have been so many times where I've been sharing my faith, and I get hit with a question from left field I never saw coming. Or a question or a comment is made, and I'm like, Lord, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will begin to speak. I'll remember something. So, I don't know enough. Brother, sister, that is not a legit excuse to keep you from sharing your faith. All right, let's look at a second excuse Skip all the way to chapter 4 and look at verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me 
or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. This is the second excuse. Lord, I'm afraid of rejection. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe my story? What what if they don't believe that I'm standing before you at the burning bush right now? What if they doubt that? Well, I love how the Lord responds. Verse 2, so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. I always love that detail. Throws the rod and then runs away screaming. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Who picks up a snake by the tail? You're supposed to pick him up as close to the head as possible, right? God said, you pick this serpent up by the tail. It's an act of faith. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So, if they say they don't believe your story, Moses, I'm going to give you a supernatural sign. I'm going to move in your life in a supernatural way. Throw the rod down. Show them the sign. And if that doesn't work... Verse 6, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. He said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. I'm giving you two tricks. The rod into snake miracle. The leprous miracle. Show them that. That will confirm your story. And if they don't believe those two signs. Verse 9. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice. That you shall take water from the river. The Nile River. Pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So. Moses, what if they don't, Moses says, God, what if they don't believe me? God says, I'm going to reinforce your message. I'm going to move supernaturally in your life, Moses. And so they, we, we make the same excuse. Lord, I can't witness. They're going to reject me. They're not going to believe me. I'm going to fail. By the way, Christian surveys have been conducted over the last uh, century concerning the Christian church. Surveys have been conducted among Christians asking how often do Christians actually share their faith. And they found that a very high percentage of Christians have never once led somebody else to Jesus. They've never even shared their faith. I think it was like 70%. Can you imagine that? 70% of Christians have never shared their faith. And then the question is asked, why? What are the reasons? There's always two in the top five, usually the top two. Number one, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? Number two, what if they reject me? The exact same excuses that Moses So, 
that question, what if they reject me? God gave Moses supernatural confirmation. I do believe that he gives us supernatural confirmation as well. Listen, if you are a born-again Christian and you get really serious about being a witness and sharing your faith with other people in your family, in your office, in your circle of friends, if you begin praying that God would prepare hearts, God is going to move supernaturally. He'll confirm your message. He'll do amazing things. He'll organize divine appointments. I've always loved the story of Philip in Acts chapter 8, where he's part of a revival in Samaria. God's using him. But then the Holy Spirit says to Philip, I want you to go to the desert. He goes to the desert. Okay. He's out there by himself. And then a chariot. You remember the story? A chariot comes driving by. And the Holy Spirit says, Psst, go walk next to that chariot. So he goes and he walks next to the chariot. Inside the chariot is a high-ranking Ethiopian eunuch official. And you remember the story. He happens to be reading from the scroll of Isaiah out loud. Philip says, hey, what are you reading? Isaiah, do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, how am I going to understand unless somebody tells me? Do you know? Philip gets up in the chariot. Leads that guy to Jesus Christ. A supernatural divine appointment. Brother, sister in Christ. I believe God wants to do that through us. Not yearly. Not monthly. I suggest weekly. Weekly. Opportunities to share. And we're afraid. They're going to reject me. Look for the supernatural avenues. By the way, the most supernatural sign, if you want to be a good Christian witness, is to live a good Christian life. The most miraculous sign that God wants to use to confirm his message is the sign of supernatural Christians living supernatural lives in front of people. Living differently. I think all those signs that God gave Moses are symbolic, in a way, to us as Christians. Moses, I'm giving you power over the serpent. Who does the serpent represent in Scripture? The devil. You know, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan was defeated in your life. You got power over the devil. Leprosy in the Bible is symbolic of sin. When you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave you power over sin, the devil. Then you think of the blood. Blood is usually connected with death. If you're born again Christian, you've been free from bondage to death. And all of this by the blood of Jesus Christ spilled on the cross for you. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away all of your sin, has defeated the devil in your life, has given you freedom over sin and freedom over death. And furthermore, you become born again. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. And the way you live, the way you live in front of a non-believing world should be a big, big time sign 
Maybe before you came to Christ, you were angry, grumpy, moody. Maybe you were even a violent person. But now you're calm. Now you're gentle. Now you're kind. Maybe before it was all about worldly appetites. And now it's about God's appetites. Maybe before you came to Christ, you were an anxious person, worried about everything. But now you're peaceful and you have God's calm in your life. And there's a difference. And people look and say, what's the deal with you? And then you get to share. Do you live that Christian life in front of people? You know, if you're a born-again Christian and you live in a way that's no different than anybody else in the world, why would you expect them to buy what you're selling? Are you really going to share Christ effectively with unbelieving friends and family members and co-workers when there's no difference in your life from their life? There should be. You're a miracle if you're a born-again Christian. You're brand new. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You live differently. Not perfect, but differently. And the message of the gospel is confirmed by God's supernatural work in your life. Oh. You know, everything about the conversion experience is supernatural. And that's something I want you to remember as you're a witness for Jesus Christ. When you're out sharing your faith, you don't save anybody. And you want to know why? You can't save anybody. Who saves people? God. You're the messenger. So as you share the gospel, and maybe they reject what you're sharing, don't take it personally. It's not you, actually. It's much more serious. They're rejecting the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Don't take it personal. Don't be afraid. And I personally believe that every time you share your faith, it's a success. Because Paul tells us in the epistles that salvation in the life of a person can go through stages. There are some that come along and plant a seed. Then there are others that come along and water the seed. And then there are others that come along and do the harvest. Every time you share the gospel, something like, maybe you're the first one to plant the seed. Maybe you're Christian number 36 coming along to water. Maybe you get to be the Christian to lead that person to Christ. Afraid of being rejected, Lord. Get rid of that fear. Do what the Lord has called you to do. Pray for boldness. Maybe if you if you struggle with that type of fear, get around your circle of Christian friends and you admit that to them and have them begin praying for you that you would become more bolder. Paul asked for prayer in Ephesians chapter 6 from the Ephesian elders. He said, pray that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul prayed to speak boldly. Paul the apostle. So why don't you ask people to pray that for you? Pray that for yourself.
So I don't have the answers. Not a good excuse. What if they reject me? Not a good excuse. Well, look at the third excuse that Moses makes. Verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Lord, you want me to go speak? I don't speak very well. I'm not a brilliant orator. I mince my words. He says, I have a slow tongue. A slow mouth. So some people think that Moses had some kind of speech impediment like stuttering or something like that. I don't believe that at all. He was trained, remember, for 40 years in Egypt. He became a great orator. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, it says Moses was mighty in words and deeds. But here he's saying, Lord, I can't speak very well. Now remember, he's been in the wilderness for 40 years. It's been a long time since he's had practice. He's been hanging out with sheep. You don't talk a lot with sheep, right? So maybe he's thinking to himself, you know, I've lost that part of my game. Big time excuse, but I think a bunch of blah, blah, blah. Look what the Lord says to him. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, Who's made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have I not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. Moses, who made your mouth? Who made your vocal cords? Who makes ears? Who makes eyes? Who makes the tongue that speaks? Moses, don't question. I've called you. You're going to be my spokesperson. I'm going to give you the words. And I'm going to speak through you. And yet that's the same excuse again that we like to use. I want you to go share with your friend the gospel of Jesus. I want you to share with your coworker about Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, I can't speak. I don't have the words. I'm not as polished as those preachers in the pulpits of churches. I'm not as polished as that preacher on TV or that preacher on the radio. Billy Graham was so good at it. Greg Laurie today is so good at it. I can't be like them. Now listen. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be Greg Laurie. You don't have to be some pastor. You just have to be you. And God has placed you in your job, in your neighborhood, in that area where you have influence. And God has commanded you to be his mouthpiece. Speak. He'll be with your mouth. He'll be with your words. He'll use you. By the way, it's always about God's power, right? It's not about our gifts. It's God who moves. Don't ever praise a man or woman of God. Praise the God of that man. 
or that woman. Talent comes from God. Don't ever praise the tool that God uses. Praise the God that uses the tool. And understand that he can do the same with you. Use your words. So I want you to think about this. As Christians, we should all know those bullet points for the gospel. Every single one of us. You should know the bullet points. And if you don't, study. There's a God who made you and loves you. Mankind fell into sin. Sin separates us from God. We're condemned because of sin. God loves you. God sent his son to die on the cross for your sin in your place. On the third day, he rose again. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you'll be forgiven. If you know those bullet points and those bullet points married to your personal testimony, attached to your growing knowledge of God's word as you put in the work, oh, you're gold. God will use you. God will use you as a spokesperson. I saw a wonderful quote on Facebook. Of all places, I found something nice on Facebook. It says, offer God your willingness, even if you feel small, even if you feel unlikely, Even if everything in you is screaming, you're not someone who can be used by God. Simply offer him your willingness. God absolutely loves to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things in them, through them, and with them. And you, listen, you born-again Christian, were created to participate in his divine activity in this world. In your sphere of influence, he's called you. It's just, are you willing? It's about availability, not capability. The Lord will enable you. Well, does it get any better for Moses? All of his excuses. Meh, meh, meh. It doesn't. He runs out of excuses. And now we get to see what's really in his heart. Look at verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Send someone else. Send someone else. Now, it's very strong in the Hebrew. It's like, Lord, send anybody you might want to send on the face of planet Earth. Send anyone except me. Don't send me. And so now all the excuses have been stripped away. He's run out of excuses. And his heart lays bare. And the bottom line is Moses just doesn't want to. Send someone else. Now we talked a lot about becoming humble. And how important it is to be humble. And during those 40 years in the wilderness, Moses was humbled. But this now is crossing the line. This isn't humility. This is disobedience. 40 years in Egypt, he was an unbridled horse running ahead of the Lord. 
Now he's become a stubborn old mule that won't move forward. And he said, no, send someone else. And really, truth be known, that's why a lot of Christians don't witness. Send someone else. Send someone else. I don't want to put in the effort. Send someone else. God, can't you see that I'm busy down here building my portfolio, my kingdom, my house? I'm putting all, I'm busy. Send someone else. Send someone else. So sad. Well, it says in verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now that's a pretty, you don't want the anger of God kindling against you. God was angry. God was not pleased. And in fact, at that very moment, the light in the bush could have gone out. The fire could have just gone just as quickly as it went. God's appearance could have went. All right, Moses. Live the rest of your life choosing to forego the amazing thing that I wanted to do in your life. But he didn't. Our God is so amazing. It says, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you just speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. He himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be like to him as God. You will take the rod in your hand with which you shall do. He doesn't throw Moses away. Wait a minute, you got an older brother. He can talk good. He's coming to see you right now. I'll use him. I wanted to use you, but I'll use someone else. Hmm. I'll speak to you, Moses, and then you'll speak to Aaron, and Aaron will speak to the people. Hmm. What a bummer. What a blessing that Moses missed out on. God wanted to use him. If God won't use him, he'll use someone else. But actually, those of you who know the rest of the story, what happens? Aaron actually sort of becomes a liability. And when all is said and done, Moses speaks. Moses is used. God is so patient. God is working with Moses. My brother and sister in Christ, listen very carefully. God wants to use you more than you want to be used. God is so patient. Look how patient he was with Moses. Remember the story of Jonah? We studied that on Wednesday nights 
earlier this year. God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. It's this way. Where did Jonah go? 180 degrees the other way. He got on a boat to sell away. And God said, you know what? I'm not letting Jonah get away with that. Sent a storm. Sent a fish. God chased Jonah down because God was determined to use Jonah. And God was determined to use Moses. And God is determined to use you. And don't miss that. My brother and sister in Christ, you're a miracle. You're a miracle. Your eyes have been open. The Lord wants to use you. Enough with the excuses. Stop it. Enough. There comes a time in the Christian life where you stop asking God all these questions and you start obeying him. Obeying him. Letting him use you. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would grab hold of each heart. Lord, what an amazing thing that you've moved in such a way to change our lives. You've done miracles in our lives and you want to use our lives to do that in the lives of other people. And how sad is it that we would shy away from that, paralyzed by fear, make all the excuses. Lord, forgive us for the excuses that we make. Put a fire in our soul to be that spokesperson for you. Give us great wisdom as we share. Help us to build our knowledge of your word. I pray that we would live those lives that are supernaturally different. Confirm that message with supernatural signs, Lord. Be with our mouths, our words, our vocal cords. Holy Spirit, bring to remembrance those wonderful truths. Use our lives for you. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, the majority of this message has been geared towards Christians, reminding them of their responsibility to witness, to share the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to respond to the gospel. God has brought you here. The Bible does teach that we have all sinned and we fall short from the glory of God, and our sin separates us from God, who is sinless. He's holy. He's perfect. Sin must be punished. God in his love sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the price for us. And he rose again that third day. He is alive. And the gospel is if you will truly put your faith and trust in him for salvation, if you'll ask him to be your Lord and Savior, he'll save you. He'll forgive you of all your sins. 
make you born again, put his spirit in you. And we'll have the potential to use you in a mighty way in the lives of other people. If you've never done that, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. If that's you, just cry out to God in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you right now to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash away all my sins. Come into my heart, come into my life. Make me yours. Fill me with your spirit. And help me to follow you and use my life for your glory. Save me right now. Let's stand together.